Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. I'm here today with Harley Southwell. He is a pastor and a friend from the South Queensland Conference. And it is true, we do interact with those from uh, lesser conferences, which is uh, demonstrated today. Thank you for joining me, Harley, for this podcast. Wow. Okay. I think I'm going to head out uh, with that. With that. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> We're talking today, everyone, about the opportunities that exist for students to do literature evangelism. And before you tune us off, because you might think this is not relevant for you if you're not a student, we're just going to share, I, I think, some things that are going to be relevant for everyone and really highlight the blessing that literature evangelism is to the overall work of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the massive benefit that it provides to the people who do it. And yeah, thanks so much, Harley, for coming on and uh, for joining us um, today. No worries. Awesome. Do you want to say anything about yourself to get us familiar with you? Yeah, okay. As far as in the areas of literature evangelism, student literature evangelism, I first did uh, student LE in 2000 and, well, 2012 when a friend of mine, who was also just a kid, we were just kids at the time, decided, hey, let's organize a program and go and do LE work together. And we really had nothing going for us, but we just went out to Tari for two weeks and uh, did some work there. But then in 2014, I went over to the States, to Michigan, and joined a Youth Rush program over there, which goes for about three and a half months. They mm-hmm. uh, have a fair few of them in the United States. I got some experience there, but when I finished that program, I, was, I did it just to see what it was like. And when I finished that program, I was like, yeah, I don't think LE is for me. And then I came back to uh, Australia and Bob worked for a year or so. And then when I went to Avondale College during the breaks, I got invited out to a LE program for two weeks with Jumpstart at the time. And so I said, yeah, got nothing better to do with my time. So I started to do that and rediscovered a passion uh, for uh, literature evangelism in those kind of short blitzing kind of programs. Uh, and so I kept doing that through my time at college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I finished, oh yeah, while I was at college as well, actually, I got invited over to Romania to to run a their very first student literature evangelism program there. They'd been looking for, they'd been looking to start that. And so I got my cut to cut my teeth as a leader in Romania twice, two years over two different programs. And then when, coming back to Australia, I've since been involved with student literature evangelism with the Union and Division just on their literature evangelism team as representing student literature evangelism. And then just this last year, at the end of last year, we ran our first South Queensland Conference Youth Rush in Toowoomba. Uh, and so I'm fresh out of that. Uh, that just finished a couple of weeks ago, just before Christmas that finished. And uh, and so yeah, just fresh out of that and ready to uh, start organizing this year's one at the end of the year as well. So that's just a bit of a background of what's been happening with me in, in, in this space. It's interesting because you end up as a young guy involved in literature evangelism. And I find it quite curious that you're thinking at that time, this isn't for me. And then now, lo and behold, you're just immersed in doing outreach ministry by sharing literature. Isn't there an irony in that? Hey, it's, it's, it's God. He really has a sense of humor. And obviously my, my full time, I am a pastor, but the conference lets me to take one month off not off, but just to step aside from the local church and go and uh, invest in this uh, in, the, in this youth. Would you share with us why you felt at the time this kind of ministry wasn't for you? Uh, honestly, I, th- I think it was just a bit of exhaustion. Uh, three and a half month program is a long slog to go in for. And when it finished, I was a bit like, yeah, that's. I'm glad that's over. I was glad that I did it. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to do that again. And yeah, I guess it was just a bit of exhaustion at the end of that program. Yeah. So you're just like, 
enough. <laughs> just, yeah. What just hit me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Did you have experiences that were noteworthy? Back in in the States? Yeah, I, I definitely did. Yeah, like when did. you were a young guy going to the US and doing canvassing stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, you I, saw I God working. Did. Oh, 100%. You, and this is the thing, as an alley, just all the time, it's incredible. And I know a lot of people keep journals uh, of their testimonies and of their stories that they've experienced. And I'm just... I'm not a journal kind of guy. And so I've forgotten a lot of the stories that I have, but I do know that probably one of my uh, best experiences was actually when I was back in Australia and I was just working on my own. I wasn't even with any program, but I was just working on my own in the, in the Maitland Cessnock area. And I knocked on a, knocked on a guy's door, got conversation going. He was interested in the great controversy, had spiritual questions. So I signed him up for Bible studies did a couple of Bible studies with him and then passed him on to the local church. My dad, Lyle Southwell and Braden Enterman took over with him. And a couple of years, uh, a couple of years later, I got to witness him being baptized. And that's a, that's something that literature evangelists don't often get to see because often we just go in, plant some seeds uh, and leave and let God do the rest of the work. And wherever that seed grows into, we usually are out of town by then. And that was really awesome just to be able to see that, yes, this, this, this work really does produce uh, fruit in an incredible way. And so you find, so then you come back to Australia, you end up, long story short, studying theology. Was that when you were studying yeah. theology yeah. that you yeah. got asked? Yeah. yeah. So then you're, 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 you feel called to ministry, to pastoral ministry. You're studying at Avondale College. And then the, it was the division, I think, that used to run or that did run the Jumpstart program. Yeah. And so the division's running this program. They offer Avondale students the opportunity to go out. You do it and yeah. get super psyched. Yeah, exactly. It gets, get, I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. And there's this, there's this idea uh, that people have that Australians are harder to sell to than Americans. And that's, that's just, I find that all cultures have a bias against their own culture when it comes to evangelism. Like when I went to Romania, they're all like, oh yeah, Romanians don't buy spiritual books uh, because they're so orthodox. So they're so like locked in. And I just, that was the, that was like the, 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 the conference people telling me this. But when I trained my students, I didn't tell them that. And I just told them, sell Desire of Ages, sell Great Controversy, show them the books. And they were just selling them just the same as we sell them here. It's, it, we just all, we all, all seem to have this bias against our own culture for some reason, thinking that, yes, the cultures are different. And yes, you need to tweak it a little bit. But the message gets out there. God's word does not return to him. Yeah, that's such a good point, man. I love how you said that. Every, every culture has a bias against itself. It's, yeah, like in that country over there, it's got to be easier than here. It's as if the devil doesn't live everywhere. Exactly. But anyways, yeah, I never, I've seen that too, by the way, coming from the US. If you're in the Northern part of the United States, people will say things like, it's not as easy to win people here as it is down in the Bible Belt because there everyone's mm -hmm. religious. And then mm -hmm. if you're down in Tennessee or Georgia or Alabama, people always say it's harder to win people here because they're so indoctrinated in their own Christian faith. Exactly and then right. you exactly go to the right. Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, and they're like, you know, everyone here is so secular. So it's so hard to win people. You come to Australia and it's over in America, man. It's easy to win people. It's now just because the camp meeting speech group told you a great story about how some people in America were one. It doesn't mean that's happening like every day, everywhere. Like it's challenging. It can be challenging everywhere, but there are people everywhere whose hearts are open. And that's what you found. Yes, exactly right. All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully up to heaven waiting only to be gathered in. I believe that's a absolutely so okay. Spirit of I'm Amen. So I'm interested, bro, in hearing about like you you got you've got a good amount of experience in outreach ministry through literature evangelism. And we're talking about the opportunities 
student literature evangelism, and it's been a huge part of your journey Mm -hmm. as a minister. Mm -hmm. And so do you want to tell us what does literature evangelism, what are they, what is it, what do those opportunities look like? Yeah. So when it comes to student literature evangelism, that's what opportunities exist, what opportunities exist and what do they look like? Sorry. Yeah. 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 So when it comes to student literature evangelism, it's different to regular LE work in a few different ways. And these differences bring about the opportunities that it, that it provides. Regular LEs are awesome, committed, solid people, and they do this full time. It's their job. And as a result, they need to pace themselves to be able to make that, make that not burn themselves out. Student literature evangelism usually happens in blitzes. In the States, they have their youth rushes, which go for a couple months. Over here, because the school terms, semester systems are different, we don't have that same amount of time. So usually we have we can only do about a month or two at the most for a student program. But that's actually quite good because you're able to invest a lot of the energy that young people bring into, into, a, into a short space of time and just go hard and then go home. Uh, and so I found that when we were in Romania, for example, we would go into it, they would send us to a, a city and be like, yep, yeah, this city should last you two weeks. And we would finish it in five days. And then they'd be like, oh, we weren't expecting that to happen. Uh, and it's not that we were just rushing through people and not actually investing in conversations with people. It's just that we're able to move faster. We're able to bring that energy, that drive that, that otherwise doesn't exist. The other thing is I know when I was by myself as a literature evangelist compared to being with students is that sometimes I would drive out to territory by myself, sit in the car for two hours, and then just because you get this, there's, there is a spiritual battle that goes on, and it's hard to get out there on the doors. We call it the battle of the first three doors, because once you get those first three doors down, then you can start going. You get into a momentum. When you're in, with a group of students, there has and the leader says, all right, let's go, you can't just say, oh, no, I'm just going to chill. Yeah, it, there, everyone goes together. And as a leader, I always hype everyone up, get everyone pumped. And let's we do like some weird things, putting the hands together. Oh, let's go, let's do this, you know, thing. just getting pumped and amped and then heading out. <laughs> and so you can really get that, you can get that yeah. energy built up as well with that accountability that brings in, in the student program. And so you're able to really just go hard and then go home. That set time frame fits into that as well. The other thing that student literature evangelism brings is that one of the reasons why they're able to sell more is because student literature evangelism are actually programs are actually scholarship programs. And this is the best way for them to, when a local com- so for example the South Queensland Conference invest in this program. They provided the books, they provided the food, they they provided the funding for the program. And then the students would go out and give those books in the community. Now actually the other thing is we do differently is we don't actually sell the books per se. We actually rather just give the books for donations in return. We don't say, we we tell people, this is a general, this is what the book costs in the bookstore, like $20 in the bookstore for a great controversy. But people help us out with donations, anywhere from 10 to 50. Whatever they feel like giving goes to help me with my scholarship. Because of the donation that they receive, 50% goes back to cover the costs of the program. And 50% goes as a scholarship check to the student. And so at the doors, not only is the person getting the incentive to buy the book because they're interested in the book, but they see that they're actually going to help this industrious young person who's out here working to support themselves through whatever tu- tuition that they're uh, wanting to do. And so we had two guys in our program who were who were doing, this is just uh, a couple last month, who were doing it and that, that to fundraise to go to the Arise Bible School. And so they were, and they were telling people at the door, what you give helps me go to Bible school. And people were like, oh, wow, 
all right, let's, and so maybe they weren't like super interested in the book, but they would still get the book anyway to help the person. And it would just be that extra, extra step to help them. So that scholarship element sells a lot. Uh, and so you're able to get a lot more books into the community, have a lot more conversations, have a lot more prayers with people when those, when you're not just a salesman out here to, to make money for yourself, but you're actually here to, to, to further your, your endeavors. And so people really appreciate that. And so that's some of the uh, unique opportunities that student literature evangelism brings, I would say. The other thing is then for the actual participants in the programs, there are other advantages as well. First of all, being that it builds interpersonal skills, being door to door, of course, forces you to be able to learn how to talk to people, how to read people, how to appeal to people and things like that. It builds character. Uh, because there are days where you probably won't get many books out and you have to, there are times, if you ever want to question whether God exists, uh, it's, it's paradoxical, but if sometimes if you want to question whether God or not God exists, go on a student literature evangelism program because there are days where you'll just be like, God doesn't, God's not real. God doesn't exist. This is terrible. Why am I doing this? This is, I, I'm just whatever. But at the same time, like when you push that crucible, uh, of faith and God shows up with a miracle in that same day, it's so much more powerful and it's very character building, very character building kind of experience, not just with the challenges, but also with the, also with the divine appointments that come through. Building life experience as well is just, just another thing that young people need and building faith. I, when it does challenge your faith, but at the other end of the program, there's like, you've had so many experiences. And one thing we do uh, in my programs is when I'm running it, we have a morning worship, which is usually just, and we share a devotional thought from the scriptures to inspire going forward. But then for the afternoon worship, we just sit around and share the stories from the day and how God worked during the day. And that's just so faith affirming because maybe you didn't have an incredible day, but here's someone else who just met someone who literally dreamed about them coming to their door the day. That's just, it's just incredible faith building experience. And yeah, it just blows you away. Miracles all the time. And one of the key things as well is you can't be a successful student literature evangelist without developing a prayer life, uh, developing that walk with Christ. And I found personally, and I've seen with my students is that not you literally are walking with Jesus because you're walking from door to door and you're praying from door to door. And there are times where you can feel and know that angels, that Christ is walking with you, that his presence is there as you are you know, going and, and meeting these people and, and appealing with them and, just, and, and introducing them to, to spiritual things and praying with them. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the things that you see young people coming into this program who they may have grown up in the church. They may have grown up in the school, in the church school system and stuff like that. And they've heard missionary stories and they've heard this kind of stuff. But and they think, oh, that happens over there. That happens in Vanuatu. That happens in Papua New Guinea. But then they actually experience it happening themselves. And they're able to really go through this crucible because it's intense. It's hard. It's, it's a hard blitz but you come out the other end and you're just like you've grown so much through that program and isn't that i think that's one of the reasons why people are averse to literature evangelism is because it's difficult because mm -hmm. it's challenging so yeah. i think sometimes people will say things like well it's just an old it's an old-fashioned way to do outreach and so it doesn't work in these times in these days yeah. and i just think that's not people say that when they don't really know what they're talking about and i don't yeah. say that with any disrespect to people who may have mm -hmm. said that i just yeah. don't like I have, I've heard a million people, if, if I had a dollar for everyone I heard say that like door-to-door -door ministry doesn't work, whether it's Ellie or Bible work, mm -hmm. I'd be like a very rich person. Yeah. But the irony of me hearing people say that is that I myself, who am not too terribly good at like knocking on people's doors and just talking to strangers, I myself in the modern era 
have gone out in a community, in various communities, mm-hmm. and through knocking on strangers' doors, amassed like 15, 20 Bible studies a week. And yeah. so oh, yeah. 100%. it does work, and but yeah. it's difficult. No, it is it's difficult, the, it's it challenging, is, it requires... I, I often say it is the hardest and easiest way to do evangelism. It's the hardest way to do evangelism, but at the same time, it's the easiest way to do evangelism yeah. because it's hard be- what you put your body through, what you put your what you put your emotions through, what you put your mm-hmm. that, that time commitment that you have to put in there the, and everything like that. But then it's easiest because it's the easiest way to talk to people about Jesus is just to go up to talk <laughs> people and talk, talking to them about Jesus, <laughs> you know? That's right. It's, you have no other option because that's what you're doing. It's bro, like you, you touched on... In what you were saying about what it affords the students, like what doing, what a young person is given through participating in an LE outreach. I really, people can miss this. You listed off the character qualities that are necessary for anyone to be a successful soul winner. So if I were to say, okay, write down a list of character qualities necessary or, or just qualities necessary to win people or to be a good soul winner. People would say things like, you've got to be able to read other people, sensitive to the spirit and how the spirit's leading in conversations. They would say things like, you've got to be humble. You've got to be patient. You've got to step out of your comfort zone. You've got to, and they would list a list of qualities that are all necessary for Ellie work. That Ellie work d- 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 like kind of trains you in. So people oftentimes, they, they think that, at Arise, because adamant, as the director of Arise Australia, I am adamant that door-to-door work stays a part of the program. And people will say things like, that's not you know, the best way to get Bible studies, or that's not the easiest way, or that's not the way that most people would get Bible studies, because most people aren't going to be a Bible worker, like a door knocker kind of person. Yeah. And by the way, Bible workers aren't all door knockers either, but they're mm-hmm. just people who get Bible studies. Yeah. But I say a few things. Number one, in order to have a discipleship training program, you need to have an element or two that's very challenging for the people who come that force them into a situation that's bigger than them, that they yep. need God for. Yes, exactly and right. Door to door is a perfect opportunity. Door to door is a perfect opportunity. Also, you need you need to give an exercise or give a task that is going to develop the necessary skills that a person can take in any sphere of life and become more effective for sharing Jesus. So mm-hmm. holy boldness, fearlessness, humility. The willingness to just put your own feelings aside and think only of someone else, mm-hmm. being treated poorly while you have to treat other people kindly, being courteous and considerate, and, and being in touch with the Spirit and knowing how to think on your feet, yeah. and all of these things you get yeah. to practice from door to mm-hmm. door. What's Where's mm-hmm. there a better classroom for that? There mm-hmm. is none. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And people say, oh, I don't believe in public evangelism or this kind of evangelism. I just believe in friendship evangelism. I'm like, look, there is actually only one type of evangelism, and that is friendship evangelism. And that is friendship evangelism only, you know, public evangelism only works if it's friendship evangelism. And LE evangelism only works if it is friendship evangelism. Door knocking is friendship evangelism. Small groups is, is friendship evangelism. It's all a part of that. But the way that you make the friends, the way that you be a friend, is slightly different each time, but I tell my students, friends buy from friends, support friends. And so when you're able to make a friend at the door, you're able to, they're much more likely to receive the books and to give a donation. And we don't, and and I, I tell them, I, the other thing with sometimes people say to me when it comes to literature evangelism is they're like, why do like, why don't you just give the books out for free? Like, why are you actually getting money for these books? Uh, and there's a couple of reasons, but I think the key reason is, is that when you give someone something for free, you're telling them that it's worthless because it's free. So therefore it means nothing. It, 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 it doesn't cost anything. When someone invests 
in a, bo- in a book like The Great Controversy or The Desire of Ages, when they give $20 for that or they give $50 for it, the chance that they're going to read it increases exponentially by the amount that they donate for it. And that doesn't necessarily mean like the amount of money that they donate for it, but the amount of money that they have in the bank that they donate for it. Because I've gone to a door and persons only had $2 to their name. Uh, and they're like, look, I can't get a book, but they really see the need for the book. They really want the book. They And they want to help the student at their door. And so they're like, here, I only have $2. That's all I have to my name right now until payday. But here you go. I'll give you the, I'll give you this $2. And I give them the book. And what happens is I've only, I've, I've done LE work for years and years. And I've only had one day where I actually made a loss. Every day I make that I would, that I was doing it. I, I would make a significant profit on the books, even though I'm not asking for any prices. I'm just saying you give what you want because those donations get covered. But that person is like that widow who gave her two mites. She's given everything. And therefore that's what me, that, that, that means so much. And so that person is going to read that book if they've given, if they've given that proportion of, of what they have. That's, a good that's point. one of the reasons why we sell books is, or ask for donations for the books. And of course there are people who have nothing and they're not going to give anything, but they desperately want the book. And I tell my students, yeah, give them the book. Of course. And maybe not one of the cookbooks, maybe not one of the, maybe not one of the children's storybooks. But if there's a Desire of Ages or a Steps to Christ or a Great Controversy, one of these books that will change, definitely give it to them for free as, as a gift. And usually what's happened is usually you'll know it's okay because someone a couple of doors ago has extra donated to you. And, and so you can know that you can start, okay, yep, this person, and you can, and, and we would tell people at the door, it's like, hey, that's okay. Your neighbor down the road donated extra. So they've covered this book. I see that you can have it as a gift because we can see that you really are actually going to read this. And so that's another thing that we do on the doors. Man, I have a friend named Johnny Suarez who runs, well, he ran a media ministry in the U.S. for a while and he had speakers signed up for with his ministry where he would be their kind of distributor of their ministry materials. And he'd sell like a lot of con- like content that these people would produce, sermons or whatever, just anything that they would produce. And uh, people used to ask him, how do you sell? You're making money off of like gospel ministry. Like, how do you reconcile that? And if they were like Adventists and who really valued the gift of the spirit of prophecy, he just bust out like Ellen White quotes about the the same things that you were talking about, how it's okay to sell Mm -hmm. spiritual books and spiritual sermons because it helps people to value them. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so they're putting a little bit of treasure. It's going to increase their... Exactly right. Affection for the book when they're going to read it. But then Jesus says, on the other hand, freely give because you freely receive. And so I just found that that I've always thought when I would hear him sharing his debates with people or his, the criticisms that people leveled against him because he made a living off of selling stuff. First, firstly, they don't mind like the ABC selling spiritual books, but for some reason they mind a canvasser. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I I think there's something different. I need need to go on about this, but I think there's something different between a person who's just capitalizing yeah. on the gospel, yeah. where the gospel means nothing to them, and they're yeah. just using religious faith as a way to make money. Yeah. That's what Jesus is addressing when he turns over the money changers tables. Like they're yeah. making, it's a scam. It's just yeah. a sham. And yeah. they're degrading holy things by just turning it into some kind of marketing yeah. you know, campaign. But there, there's a difference between that and then just an honest person who loves God, who's making an opportunity available for people to purchase valuable information. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. And yeah. there's a definite, in my mind, difference between a sincere follower of Jesus offering 
very valuable information in the form of certain books for sale. That's there's yep. nothing necessarily wrong with that. If that individual is just being some greedy kind of pharisaical capitalizer, then I would say, yeah, it's a yep. problem. But yeah, and one of the things I told my and one of the big I, difference. Yeah, one of the things we do because we offer the books for donations is we can't actually refuse a donation that someone gives for the book. And one time we had uh, on my last program, one of one of my uh, students went out and he was he got a dump bag and he called it in on the radio because because my job is they're out canvassing and my job is to drive around and replenish their books and their bags are getting light do their card sales because i had the card reader and, and everything like that he calls in a dump bag and that's awesome we, we call that in when you've sold everything in your bag someone's bought everything that you have and and he's praise god awesome those, those are always great experiences so i pull up and i'm like praise god for the dump bag he's like yeah she gave me ten dollars for everything and i was like ooh, you know that's a, so that's a hard hit because you know altogether those the cost price of those books we've just made a loss on that but i'm like hey God's going to take care of it. If she, we can't refuse what someone gives. And what happened was the, on that, he was on a cul-de-sac and for the next, he had four houses left on that cul-de-sac and he got over donated at the next, uh, on the, all of those houses. And so it just went straight up and covered and covered the cost of, of the books that the one lady had just given $10 for. And we're obviously, we're not in it for the money because if someone gives us $10 for everything, we give them everything. But at the same time, most people, are going to be generous. We, we we find is that is that most people will give extra for they'll, t- they'll give you twenty dollars for a book that costs five at times. And you know that at the end of the day, this is also going to support them as missionaries as they're going they, if they're going to arise or if they're going to do whatever their do whatever their tuition is. It's not going to a it's not going just to to for them to buy a PlayStation or something like that. Oh, that's right, and it's funny because if I went to to the doors of people in my community and sold chocolates, nobody would have a problem with that. So why have a problem if I sell books that contain Jesus in them and the messages of eternal life? Like what is necessarily wrong Mm -hmm. with that if I'm not just trying to abuse the gospel to make money? And probably the probably um, the funniest one I was just on on, just reminded me of something. Uh probably the funniest one I saw was of 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 this young they post someone posted on the internet, he's like I just had this kid knock on my door and sell me this no soliciting sign. He's, every single per- he, like he's made him in his garage with his dad, and every single person on our street bought one. He just went door to door selling no soliciting signs. Like man, that is scorched earth, scorched earth. <laughs> but yeah, no one has a problem with that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's hilarious. No, it's good. Yeah, like if you're selling something, if there's something's valuable, what's wrong with selling it? And I think where we become wrong is where you would not give it away if someone couldn't mm. buy it. I think yeah. that's the difference, right? Like yeah. If yeah. someone couldn't afford a book. Yeah, um, or, pressure, or, like, or pressuring people. Now, pressuring people that aren't, that they're not interested, then they're not uncomfortable. Yeah. They don't, they're and, not interested, yeah. Just like we, I tell my students to pray for quick rejections because the last thing you want is to mm. be at someone's house for half an hour and then they don't get anything. When you see down the road, someone pulling out of their driveway who you would have talked to and they might have bought a book. Now, if you get a quick rejection, praise God, yep. he's moving you on to the next person who's actually. Yeah, amen. That's a really good point. And yeah, so if, if if you've got a if you've got a friend, I had this situation. I've got a buddy. He this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'm going to ask you one question to kick to, to send us off before we conclude mm-hmm. today. But he started to he basically had a preaching teaching ministry, and when you tra- traveling the world, and when you travel the world preaching, people they take your sermons and they put them online, and they don't ask you your permission to put them online. And I've never given anyone permission to put my sermons online, but when I'm preaching in England, people put my stuff online, people sell my stuff without my permission. You know, they just basically suppose they'll say things like, the gospel is free. You can't sell it. So I can just use it 
in any way that I want to use it, not realizing that the speaker may want to represent themselves the way they want to be represented. And so you may have heard them preach 10 sermons and choose to, to put one on your website, but that one may not completely represent that individual and that speaker, but it yeah. may represent you and your ministry and what you happen mm-hmm. to like about what that speaker said. And so you've got to give a, a presenter the right to present themselves the way they want to be presented. Anyways, long story short, he called around, he, he started functioning on kind of high levels of academia. And he wanted some of his sermons offline, not because he was ashamed of what he said, but because he didn't want one of his colleagues at, like he's, he's studying at Cambridge University. Like he doesn't want his, one of his fellow PhD students or one of the professors to find like one random sermon in a series of third on some maybe deep theological subjects or sensitive social subjects, like to hear this presentation, like one 30 yeah, minute presentation. And then now this individual who's, He's a, he's a PhD historian. Now he's going to be defined by that one sermon. Mm-hmm. So he called around like to hundreds of people and said, could you please take that down? Could you please take that down? And you can imagine what they thought of him. They were like, you're trying to steal the gospel from people. You don't own the gospel. And my thought was like, yeah, you've got Bibles you can give away to people. You don't have to give away this guy's sermons. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, so people seem to have this sense that if it's spiritual, it should be perfectly free to all at all times. And there should be no like thoughtful consideration of maybe we should sell that. Maybe you shouldn't put that online. And and I think it this is a not the same situation as you're talking about with LE stuff, but it's like an overlapping situation mm-hmm. where yeah. church members oftentimes have very strong opinions about things and the gospel being free and how it should be you know, proliferated. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, a canvasser or a spiritual person who's done canvassing for years is usually going to have some insights that can help the rest of us understand the value of selling and we shouldn't take our kind of superficial thoughts about it and then just say, Oh, you canvassers should give stuff away for free. I just don't get that. Anyways, bro. So just to depart and say our goodbye, not goodbyes, but our final few statements here, what, what would you say to a person or who knows a young person, maybe they've got a son, daughter in college or young person in the church, in the teenage years, what would you say to them to inspire them to, encourage that young person to participate in a youth rush, a literature evangelism kind of program. They might see themselves as someone who doesn't fit in. I'm not like super spiritual or I'm not like a conservative Adventist and that's that's what conservatives do and I'm not that guy. Or what would you say to some young person or some person who knows a young person to encourage them to get that young person involved in these kinds of ministries? Oh, okay. So there's the easier question the easier question there is what would I say to a young person? It's hard, often harder for a parent to convince their child to go on one of these kind of programs. But I guess the easier, so I'll answer the easier one first. If I was talking to a young person and inviting them and, and trying to encourage them to uh, come to this program, I'm usually always completely honest with them. I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be probably one of the hardest things that you're going to do. Uh, you're going to get pushed to your spiritual limit and then you're going to have to let go and let God. Uh, but I, t- I tell them that, look, if you are tired of just hearing the stories of missionaries overseas, if you're tired of just sitting in and listen, hearing the mission story, and rather you could you want to experience something like that, a youth rush a shop. Now, the other thing is that we have, which is which is you know helpful in Australia, is that our youth rushes are shorter, or at least they're going to be, than, than they would be in the States. Uh, and that is usually only going to be two weeks. North New South Wales just ran theirs. It was two weeks. South Queensland ran ours. It was four weeks. And so it's invest that, that month of your time. And if at the end of the program, it was like, yeah, that's not for you. That's not for me. You never have to do it again. No, you're not getting signed up to a lifetime contract here. Just try it out. Just invest in it for that, for that short blitz. Just put every energy you have into it for that time and see 
what God will do. Put God to the test in, 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 in that way and see how he and see where he will show up. And so that's what I would say to a young person. And it would just, yeah, that's just a general thing that I often say. Obviously, each one has their own different unique experience, which I can touch on. But to a an adult who wants to encourage a young friend or one of their uh, one of their children along, I would say basically just share the same things I just shared then and put them out to just show them some of the, the I'm sure at big camp we'll be sharing testimonies from young people. Call up different young people who've been a part of these programs uh, to see what they have to say. Basically, just share those just share those same stuff. It's just give, it's a four week to two week program. Even after two weeks, you're just like, I don't think I can do this. I want to tap out. No one's forcing you to be there. We will let you. We will let you leave. We will try and encourage you to stay and, and let you know that it's it's not good to to give up easily. But no one's forcing you to stay. And you can you can get out when if it's not working for you. But just we had a, one young lady who came along to she didn't actually register for the program, but her one of her friends was doing it, and so she just wanted to try it out. She came along. She stayed for two nights with us. One day she went out. She just shadowed someone. She just carried their bag for them. Just watched what happened. And, and like halfway through the day, I asked her, "What do you think? Are you, are you liking this?" She's like, "Yeah, it's really awesome. It's blowing my mind. I wish I'd." I wish I could commit to the rest of the program, but she had work and other commitments that she had. But she was going to be there, there tomorrow. And we'll give you a bag tomorrow. You spend the rest of this afternoon as you're going door to door, learning the canvas. And tomorrow we'll send you out on, on, on your own. And you can get it. You can get it. You can get an experience with it. And so she did. And she's going to be back next year, just from that one day that or, or two days that she had. Just give it a try. What do you got to lose? Awesome. Yeah. Amen. 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 Hey, listen, guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. And I want to say, if there's anyone out there, a younger person who is interested in taking on the challenge uh, of getting involved in a youth rush or literature evangelism mission, please contact the North New South Wales Conference Evangelism Department or Young Adults Department, who really is spearheading our efforts in LE ministry here or... Or South Queensland. That's right. Or South Queensland. That's right. The youth department in South Queensland has been supporting literature ministry, thanks to the initiative of, of Harley. And yeah, we're really excited about the possibility of getting more young people involved, not because we want, we think that they're all going to become door knockers for the rest of their life, but because we believe that an experience in literature evangelism ministry can be a pivotal moment in their spiritual experience and serve to keep them in the church mm-hmm. and serve to make them better witnesses for Jesus in whatever area God calls them in life, whatever career path. Yeah, thanks everyone uh, for joining us. We'll look forward to see, and thank you, Harley. And we'll look forward to seeing you all next week. God bless.